Sometimes we'll say things like, well, this is where our lesson's coming from, but we're not going to have a whole lot from there. We're going to be jumping around. But Acts, the 26th chapter, is going to be read in its entirety today. And in part because that is one of, maybe, my favorite chapter, full chapter in the Bible. Now, if you're keeping track, if you've got a little note card, you know that I've probably just lied because I feel like I've made that same statement about a whole bunch of other chapters and verses in the Bible. And you might say, well, wait a minute, on May the 15th, you said, well, okay. So just, it's one of my favorites. I want to talk about the word almost to start with. How many of you have ever almost done something? I think we all can relate to that. And this doesn't have to be a bad thing, but we've almost done something. Maybe you almost bought a house or I almost bought a car 
or I almost fill in the blank with whatever that might would be. But there was something that kept you from it. You know, we have looked at automobiles and houses and those kinds of things in the past, and we've looked at those, and you know, you look at the pictures, or maybe you go visit it, and you you got pretty close to making that purchase, but you didn't do it. Almost takes us almost, if I can use the word again, to something. One of my earliest memories was in March of 1992. I was, old, I was 10 years old. And on that night, Duke beat Kentucky for a chance to go to the Final Four. You probably remember it because Christian Leitner had a shot at the buzzer to end the game. As a 10-year-old, I remember well crying after that happened because it was almost. I watched ball games and been an active participant in ball games where there was no almost to it. We lost by 52 points at Bartstown one night. There was no almost. The almost was when we got on the bus. We should have never left in the first place. But when you're so close to something, you think about, well, this or that. Should we have done this or that? When we were going to buy the house or buy the car, should we have done this? Well, it gets great gas mileage, but the reviews aren't, all that kind of stuff. Most of you probably don't know this, but for a brief time, when I was in school, I wanted to maybe major in journalism. This was when I was in high school. And I did some sports writing job shadow. Thought I might want that job. I ended up not doing it. I didn't think I could make enough money in it for one thing. I wasn't sure that's what I really wanted to do. But I did like to write, and I've still done sports writing stuff even after that. Not as a career, but things you get paid a little bit for here and there. But one of the things you learn when you write is that you have to have an audience you have to have a setting. You have to tell a story. And there has to be a point. And we're going to look at all of that in Acts chapter 26 today. We're titling this Almost Persuaded. And this is Paul appealing to King Agrippa. So let's start, first of all, with who the audience is. And you can see pictures uh, or depictions of these folks right here. The top one is King Agrippa II. He was the son of Herod Agrippa I, who had beheaded James. And Agrippa would be the seventh and the last king in that line of Israel. You know, whenever they talked about Jesus being the king of the Jews, people like Herod were the people that was potentially a victim in that. Now, Jesus never proclaimed himself to be a king, but people like Herod were concerned that that king could overtake my position. This is his son, the second. The picture there on the top is a coin that was struck while he was there. The second member of the audience is Bernice. She was a sister to Agrippa. That's a bust of her in the bottom corner there. And then the third is Festus, because even though Agrippa was in charge of Israel, Rome was in charge of everything. And Festus is the governor who Rome sent. 
And the way that Rome ran things was as long as you kept things under control, they were fairly content to let you do it however you wanted. They just didn't want any trouble. And so they had a governor, Festus. Felix had been the earliest one. We'll talk, or the previous one. We'll talk about him in a second. But they had sent a governor to sort of make sure everything is up to some. In Acts chapter 26, we'll see the role that these people play. Now, let's talk about the setting. You may remember that. That's the temple. But in the setting, what we're looking at here, what's the setting for us in this story? Well, first of all, Paul had been left a prisoner by Felix. He had been arrested. And we saw that in what we read just a moment ago in chapter 25. And the Jews from Jerusalem had wanted a judgment against Paul. The judgment that they really wanted was they would like for him to have been in prison and put to death. That's the judgment that they really wanted. But they wanted a judgment against Paul. Roman law required that Paul had to face his accusers. And so in the trial, it becomes apparent that the questions are about Judaism and perhaps even more whether or not Jesus was alive. Was Jesus a person? Did Jesus live? Did he die? Was he resurrected? There were these questions because when you think about the Jewish people, they were questioning whether this was. Was Jesus really this Messiah? The Jewish people had been the ones that had wanted Jesus put to death. And so these questions are here. Paul appeals to Caesar. Caesar's in charge of all of Rome and Rome's territories and possessions. Paul does that rather than be judged in Jerusalem. It makes sense. Paul's looking at this thing. I'm not going to get a fair trial from these people. I need somebody who is distant. Again, we said that a minute ago. Rome didn't really worry too much as long as you weren't causing trouble. And they had a legal system that was designed. Look, it's right there. They required he faces accusers. It's about as fair a legal system as there would have been there at the time. So Paul appeals to Caesar. Agrippa, the king there, wanted to hear Paul as well. So Festus, the governor who had replaced Felix, Felix is who had arrested Paul. Festus said, okay, we'll do this. So I want you to turn to Acts chapter 26 if you're not already there. And we're going to work our way through this. And I'm going to read all of it, but as we go through it, we'll stop and make a few comments on it as we go. In Acts chapter 26, verses 1, 2, and 3, Agrippa says to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretches out his hand and answers for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused of the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which had to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. Paul does what any of us would probably do if we had to speak before a judge. Paul didn't walk up there and say, listen up. Hey, dummy. You know, he goes up there, he says, King Agrippa, I know who you are. You are Connect, you understand the customs. You understand the teachings. You understand what I'm going to talk about. My manner of life 
from my youth, which was spent from the beginning of my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. We'll come back to that in a second as well. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our twelve tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? We'll go forward in just a little bit. But he says, from the beginning, I was among my own nation in Jerusalem. He said, all the Jews know this. Paul's no new guy on the scene in this story. Paul lived as a Pharisee. He was the strictest of the Jews. The Pharisees were very strict in what they did. But Paul, and we'll get to it in a second, Paul was trying to be the best Jew that he could be. What he did was an effort to try and be the best that he could be. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even into foreign cities. Remember, this is a guy who was on trial, and he's telling all of the things here that he did wrong. He said, I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus. So that tells you where Paul was to start with. Paul was no follower of Jesus to begin with. We go a little further. I shut the saints up in prison. He had authority from the chief priests. That's the Jewish priests. And when they were put to death, I was the one who voted to put them to death. I punished them often in every synagogue, and I even went to other places to punish them as well. Paul is recounting here that he actively went after these followers of Christ. He's not sugarcoating anything. He's telling what he did. Let's go a little further. I'm going to read that. I'm working on paper here. But then something changes for Paul. In verse 12 through 18, while thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from chief priests, remember he just said it, he would go to other cities to try and punish people. At midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goats. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. 
I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now let's think about this for a second. We just looked on the last couple of things that we read about what Paul had done in his life. Paul had treated these people horribly. He had actively sought out people to punish and even kill. But something happens to Paul on the road to Damascus. I don't know how this played out. All I know is that Paul, as we see here, is blinded by this. Like things change for Paul right there. When we think about the word almost, for many of us, there are almost situations in our life. Places, there are decisions that we almost make. Let's think about Paul for a second. Paul was faced with a decision. Because we talk about Paul being saved on the road to Damascus, but that's not really true. Paul was recognized, notified maybe, on the road to Damascus. But do you remember what Paul's requirement was? He had to get up and go into the city. And go up the street and find a man. Think about that for a second. We just gloss over that in the story of Paul every time. Now, he didn't have to do it. But something had moved Paul to the point where he knew he had to make that change. There was no almost for Paul. Now, when Paul still continues to talk in front of Agrippa, he's been given a lot of latitude here in what he's been able to say. But again, he's allowed to defend himself. He says, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. So Paul had the almost that he chose to do. For these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. That the Christ would suffer, that he would be first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Paul says, I'm not saying anything new. Everything Paul says that he's teaching is exactly what Jesus taught. And he said, you, the Jewish people, had Jesus here amongst you for 30 some odd years, three years preaching, and you didn't hear. And now I'm telling the same thing somehow down the line, and you still don't want to hear. Paul's not doing anything different than what had previously been taught. Now, these are fairly strong statements to make to the king. Verses 24 through 28. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning has made you mad. We don't use the word mad in America too much. We would say you're crazy. He said, you're too 
you, you're too studied up on this. You are nuts about all this and the language that we would use. But he said, I am not mad. Most noble festivals. But speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. Now that's a bold statement. The king, what he's saying is, the king knows I'm right. King Agrippa wasn't some random person. He was a Jew. He knew who these people, this is, this is his people. He said, whom I also speak freely know these things. For I'm convinced that none of this escapes his attention. Since these things were not done in accord. King Agrippa, he asked a tough question. Do you believe the prophets? But he doesn't leave it there. You see what he says afterwards? He says, I know you believe. Now, when faced with a difficult question, we have options. Agrippa responds by saying, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Now what does almost mean? We've studied it. We've looked at it. We know what's there. We're close. We're a jump shot, a missed jump shot away. We're a review or a test drive away. We're close to make an act of it. He says, almost persuade me to be a Christian. What's the point? Well, first of all, there are so many people in our world, so many people that we come in contact with that are almost a Christian. I don't mean people that have committed to Christ. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that we come in contact with in our life, who know who God is, who know who Jesus is, who may have went to church a time or two, who know that you go to church, who are genuinely good people that are almost a Christian. Now, let's think about this for just a second. How do you go from almost to all the way? How do you go from partial to complete? Well, sometimes that's a big step. Almost something there leaves a little room for us, but complete is another step further. Well, why did Agrippa respond the way that he did to Paul? Well, I'm going to look at three things, three points here for us to sort of wrap up. First of all, Paul, who's the preacher in this story, showed respect and courtesy to those that he was appealing to. Paul said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. He said, I'm not lying to you. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm not trying to pull one over on you. You know, you'll become a Christian and then you'll set me free. And I, you know. Paul said, I'm not doing any of that. He was respectful and courtesy to it. How many times have Christians sort of put on that air of superiority with people who maybe aren't Christians or maybe who are almost Christians. If you become a Christian, you can be a lot more like me. People do that sometimes. We've automatically, I'm here. 
Well, it'd be nice to get you up here instead of wallowing around down in there. Sometimes we do that, right? God loved Paul enough to send Jesus to die for him. But God loved Agrippa and Bernice and Festus enough to send Jesus to die for them as well. You know, sometimes we think when we're not all those but all together that we're better than those that aren't quite there yet. We fall into that Pharisee mode a little bit, right? Paul knew what the Pharisees were. This wasn't foreign to play. It's related. He understood this. You know, too many times as Christians, we spend all of our time talking bad about others, the people that aren't Christians. Well, they go over to that church. They do this or that. Why? You got to talk about liberal. Have those kind of comments? People say those kinds of things? You know, think about that group over there. Oh, man, well, we don't, all they do, they, all these people, they do, uh, just, we're talking about people that we are trying to convince to become Christians. Paul didn't go in and talk bad about Agrippa. We'll get to that in just a second. Paul said the gospel was not done in a corner, and it shouldn't be. We'll read that there just a second ago. Paul was living at a time when there were too many people that had seen what had happened. They knew what the story was. They knew what had took place. He wasn't trying to pull something over. They knew what the gospel was. Nobody was denying those things. What we are teaching is not done in a corner. Even today, our responsibility is to teach the Word of God. But the third thing, and this is what I think is the most interesting part of this. This whole appeal before Agrippa, which is set up in chapter 25 as Paul potentially having to save his own life, completely flips on its ear. Paul shows the entirety of chapter 26 that he's more concerned about Agrippa being saved than he was for his own life and his own physicality. Think about that for a second. He went before the judge, theoretically to save his life, and he spent the whole time trying to convert the judge. At what point does Paul say, I hope you find me not guilty? We don't see it, do we? We don't see that anywhere in this. Paul loved and cared about Agrippa. That's a hard statement for us to make about the people that we have enemies against, right? I love and care about all of you all, but some of those people, I don't know if I love and care that much about. But if I don't love and care that much about them, what do I care if they become a Christian? Well, none of those people are trying to put me in jail or maybe put me to death. In Acts chapter 26, after Paul has done all of this, after he said all of this, and Agrippa said, almost, you persuade me to be a Christian. Paul could have left at that point and said, well, 
You know, he's done, he's done the line. Maybe we, he follows it up right then and says, you can see it right here on the screen. I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. You know, the day that Paul said that, I don't know what day that was on the calendar. I don't know what year that was. But when he said, all that hear me today, 2,000 years later, he's still talking. And we say, I'm not in jail. I'm not in prison. I'm not being tied up. I'm not. Well, we are. Because we're all enslaved to sin. And we all know that our life will either be saved or not by our salvation. And so if we make this decision, if we say, almost you persuade us me to be a Christian, well, that's not going to be enough. And even today, Paul said, I would that you would all be both the same as he is. Because at this point, it's pretty clear that Paul's ready to die. He got, I think Paul knows he's going to die. But he counts it a joy to be in the situation that he was in. You know, the almost Christian isn't saved. When I was 10 and sitting in the floor in our living room and Duke's Grant Hill throws that ball all the way to the end of the court and Christian later caught it and dribbled and then turns around and shoots for 2.1 seconds, the team that I was cheering for was almost the winner. But as the horn sounded and that ball went through the net, Almost, but lost. See, there was no more time. I wish they had won, but it's over. Show was over. The game was over. And the next week, Duke went on and won the whole thing. And Kentucky went on. It was over. And I went to my room and cried because I was sad. Now think about that for a second. At no point do we ever hear what becomes of a group. I don't know if a group became a Christian or not. It feels like something that we would have heard, though, had he been. But it wasn't because he hadn't been taught. And it wasn't because he didn't know. He was almost, but he made the choice not to. So what I ask of you, and what I ask of you when you leave here and go talk with other people, is that we be not almost but all together, such as Paul is, so to break free from those chains. If there's anything that we can do for you today, in any way, we invite you to go while we stand with that. Almost persuaded now to believe.